Hey, welcome to episode number 83 of More Than Bread and the 17th episode of the Gospel of Mark. I'm Dan, your host, Bible reader, and a pastor, and I love the Bible. For 30 plus years, my career vocation has revolved around the Bible, and I'm still not tired of it. I love the opportunity to let my soul marinate, saturate in Scripture. I love to talk about it and teach it. I even do a little memorizing of it now and then so that it sticks a bit deeper in my heart. In the first 40 plus episodes of More Than Bread, we did a a quick tour through the whole New Testament, and then we did 20 plus episodes through the Gospel of John. Now we're going through Mark's Gospel. We're reading the book and listening to the Spirit and pondering Jesus. That's the main thing, pondering Jesus. Every Gospel is a a dive into Jesus, his teaching, his life, his heart, and, and his call. And before I, I read the passage that we're we're going to look at here, let, let me just say, if, if you appreciate this podcast and uh, you find some value from it, then wherever you're getting it, Spotify or Apple or Buzzsprout or whatever, just hit like and share and, and maybe even take a moment and send a link um, to somebody else, to another friend that you think might enjoy it. Uh, once I put the work into getting it online, it's easy to share it. And if it's helpful to you, then maybe it'll be helpful to someone else. In this episode, we're finishing up Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently, with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. And you remember this from the last episode, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she'd spent everything she had to pay them, but she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and knelt, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, remember we we start out with a different story, Jairus, his daughter. He, Jesus gets waylaid, interrupted by this woman who's had a condition for 12 years and, and this little kind of give and take. And verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, Jairus, they told Jairus, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just have faith. 
Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old, think about this for a moment, my words. There was a woman who for 12 years had had beseeched God, had prayed God, had, had hoped for her miracle, and, and, and it didn't come. And then there's this girl who's 12 years old who who's died and says she immediately stood up and walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed Jesus gave them strict orders, verse 43, not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. And before we go further, let me just say, I I don't know why it is that in one case, the, the answer to prayer comes almost immediately. In another year, in another case, it, it takes 12 years. All I know is that God calls us to pray, that, that prayer matters to God, that prayer matters to Jesus. So let me reset the context of the last few episodes, because there is a common theme. In episode 81, we heard two stories that were linked together by fear, right? We we had Jesus and his closest friends on a boat, on a sea, in a storm, and they were afraid. They woke Jesus up, and Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? Then he spoke to the storm, and the storm listened, and they were even more afraid, then it was the spiritual battle story of the guy who lived in the cemetery possessed by evil spirits. Remember that? Everyone was afraid of that guy until Jesus healed him, cast the spirits out. They went into a herd of pigs and the pigs drowned themselves in the sea. And then everyone was afraid of Jesus, afraid of his, afraid of his power. And then in, in episode 82, it was the woman. She'd been sick in quarantine for 12 years. She was afraid to even asked Jesus for healing face-to-face, so she came up from behind a covert healing project. When she found, when she was found out, she was so afraid that she dropped to her knees. And, and then finally, we have Jairus' daughter. He came to ask Jesus to heal his daughter, but the encounter with a fearful woman took too much time, and his daughter died. And, and what did Jesus say to him? Don't be afraid. Only believe. Let, let me ask you, what is your greatest fear? I remember uh, when I was a freshman in high school, for one week in September of 1976, my greatest fear was David Riedel. (laughs) And it was a fear of pain and suffering. For some reason, he got it into his head that I was too much of a smart aleck and he had to take care of me. When, When my girls were in high school, my fear of guys in high school was different, but it's still there. As my kids grew up, there was an occasional sense of fear because as they grew, so did my lack of control and protection over them. Some of us are afraid of anyone ever finding out who we really are. We call that shame. Some of us are afraid that no one will ever want me as I really am. We we can fear so many things. Fear of want, of discomfort, fear of suffering, fear of failure, fear of being alone or useless, fear of not being popular at school, just plain fear that you aren't going to make it to adulthood. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death among teens. And I just wonder how much of that is because of fear. Every day, 10,000 people in the U.S. turn 65. What about coming to that point and experiencing the, was it worth it? Did I make the right choices? What legacy have I left behind kind of fears? Well, 
what does fear do to us? I remember Lynn and I, in our younger days, we went to a few scary movies. It was usually her idea. I, In fact, I rarely watched. I pulled my baseball cap over my eyes. But I remember one that I did watch part of about a girl who was getting revenge on her classmates because when she was younger, nobody came to her birthday party. I can guarantee you I made sure that Sarah and Caitlin went to every birthday party they were ever invited to. But this this revenge seeker got her first victim in a car scene. She was hiding behind in the back seat and she reached up over the front seat and and got her first victim, reached up from behind and and slit his throat. And I, I made it through the movie. I got out, but my car was parked way in the back of a long, dark parking lot. It was an old Starfire hatchback, little car, not very wide. The back seat was down so that the hatchback was out. I was nervous, but we were just dating, right? Had to be strong and brave. But as we got into the car, I couldn't help but reach around behind me to just feel and make sure no one was back there waiting to reach up and grab me. And unknown to me, Lynn had exactly the same idea. We reached out and touched each other, and I gave out a yell, and I was out of that car 20 yards away before I even looked for Lynn. She was still trying to get out of the car. She was just as scared as I was, but not quite as quick. Plus, when she gets scared, her knees give out. Lest you think I had no concern for her whatsoever, I did yell back, Lynn, get out of the car. Fear may not have immobilized my feet, but it sure did immobilize my heart. Rick Warren once said, it's my experience that most people do not go after their life dream. Most people live lives of mediocrity. They don't develop the gifts, the talents, the interests that God has given them. And why? He responds, fear. Fear destroys more dreams, more desires, more ambitions, more longings than anything else. Fear is spiritual cholesterol. It's a heart stopper. It'll keep you from being all God wants you to be. And Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid only believe. Now, there's so many don't fear verses in the Bible. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, 3 through 6, I'll give you every place where where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. In Psalm 46, 1 through 3, the psalmist wrote, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains shake. The prophet Isaiah was so poetic and courageous when he wrote in Isaiah 43. He's given us words from the heart of God when he writes, Do not be afraid, for I've ransomed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious to me, and I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And Paul surely had Isaiah scripture in mind when he wrote in Romans 8, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I'm convinced he said that nothing can separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't, the angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then one more 
Perhaps my favorite comes from the pen of John, the writer of the Gospel of John, the one who called himself the one loved by Jesus. He wrote in 1 John 4.18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Only believe. In the last few years, I've heard more than once that phrase, faith over fear. And in some ways, to some extent, isn't that what Jesus is saying when he says, don't be afraid, only believe. But see, I think at the very heart of faith over fear is really love over fear. Sometimes I think we believe that if I just believe hard enough or good enough or long enough, the bad thing won't happen. And then the bad thing happens. And and I think, well, it must be my lack, my quality of faith. But love, even when the bad thing happens, love drives out fear. A couple of episodes ago, I said the most common command in Scripture is don't be afraid. And the most common promise found in Scripture is I'm with you. And it's the most common promise I'm with you that gives us the ability to fulfill the most common command. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Believe that I'm here. And if I'm here, even when bad things happen, there's there's hope. If I'm here and I, I love you, even when the good you spent a dozen years wishing would happen didn't, there's still hope. If I'm with you, after all, faith is simply a a relationship word, right? The strength of my faith has more to do with the object of my faith than how well I believe it. Let me close with a love over fear story. Every fall, kids go back to school, and amongst those kids, millions of little kindergartners will be going off for the very first time. There'll be videos and pictures and long, clingy goodbyes. (laughs) I want to tell you about one six-year-old girl who went to school a number of decades ago now. Her name was Ruby, Ruby Bridges. She lived in New Orleans. When she was six years old, a federal judge said the schools in that city had to open their doors to African-American children. The day when little children would be separated because of the color of their skin was over. Almost all of the white parents decided that if they had to let black children in, they'd keep their children out. They also said that if any black children actually came, they'd be in for trouble. So the black children generally stayed home too, except for Ruby. Every day, six-year-old Ruby Bridges would kiss her mom goodbye and march off to school. Only she had two federal marshals walking in front of her and two walking behind her. She needed them because she had to walk through a heckling crowd into an empty school building, the only one that went to school. She had to walk through a crowd of people, and they shook their fists at her, a six-year-old girl. They yelled at her and threatened her and her family if she kept coming back to school, and Yet every morning at 10 minutes to 8, Ruby Bridges walked past all those people with her head up, her eyes straight ahead. She walked into that empty school building to learn, and then she went home every day. What's amazing about her is not just that she kept coming back. What's really amazing about her is how she, she did it. The white school teacher described what she saw when Ruby walked into the school. This is what she said. Now listen to this. Think about this being a, a six-year-old girl. The teacher said, I I saw a woman spit at Ruby, but miss. And Ruby smiled at her. I saw a man shake his fist at her, and Ruby smiled at him. Then she walked up the stairs, and and she stopped at the building. She turned and looked at the crowd, and she smiled one more time. Do you know what she told one of the marshals? She told him she prays for those people, the ones in the mob, every night before she goes to sleep. A six-year-old girl kneeling by the side of her bed, God, Bless those people who are mad at me. Help them, God. And then the next morning, that little six-year-old girl gets up, kisses her mom and dad goodbye, and walks to school with two U.S. Marshals in front and two behind. 
A Harvard psychiatrist by the name of Robert Coles wanted to know what could create that kind of courage, that kind of heart in a six-year-old girl. He went to New Orleans to interview her and her family. He found that he found that conventional psychiatric psychological language could not explain this girl and her courage. He wrote a fascinating book called The Moral Life of Children. And this non-believing, non-Christ-following Harvard psychiatrist said about Ruby Bridges, he said, if I had to offer an explanation, I think it would start with the religious tradition of black people, which is of far greater significance than many white observers have tended to allow. In home after home, he said, I've seen Christ's teaching, Christ's life connected to the lives of black children by their parents. Such a religious tradition connects with a child's sense of what is important. As anybody knows who has been in a black church and seen the look of pain give way to the look of hope. In other words, this Harvard psychiatrist went to New Orleans to look at the cause of Ruby's courage, and he basically said, I think it's Jesus. I think it's Jesus, because this little girl didn't really go to school alone. Jesus was with her. It wasn't the marshals who gave her courage. It wasn't the authority of a federal judge who gave her her strength. Not really. It was Jesus. What are you afraid of? Who are you with? (laughs) Let me read the last part of Mark 5 again from the paraphrase the message and then pray for you. While he was still talking, some people came from a leader's house, Jairus' house, remember, and told him, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus overheard what they were talking about and said to the leader, don't listen to them, just trust me. Don't listen to them. Just trust me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. He permitted no one to go in with him except Peter, James, and John. They entered the leader's house and pushed their way through the gossips looking for a story and neighbors bringing in casseroles. Jesus was abrupt. Why all this busy body grief and gossip? The child isn't dead. She's sleeping. Provoked to sarcasm, they told him he didn't know what he was talking about. But when he had sent them all out, he took the child's father and mother along with his companions and entered the child's room. He clasped the girl's hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. At that, she was up and walking around. This girl was 12 years of age. They, of course, were all beside themselves with joy. And he gave them strict orders that no one was to know what had taken place in that room. And then he said, give her something to eat. Jesus, I pray for each and every person who is listening right now. I pray for the fear that that immobilizes our feet and our hearts. I pray for the fear that causes us to quarantine our, our souls away from people, afraid of what they'll find out, afraid they won't love us if they know who we are. I, I pray, Jesus, that your perfect love would cast out every fear. I pray that each and every person listening would know how deeply they are loved by you and that that love, your presence, your your promise to never leave us or abandon us, no matter what they're walking through, no matter how scary the circumstances, I pray, God, I pray with all my heart that by your spirit you'd let them know that you're there, that nothing can separate them from your love, (laughs) that you are a strong tower and a safe refuge. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.